Well, good morning. It is nice to see your faces here today. Uh, we've got a little bit of, uh, I hope, a late arriving crowd. Uh, we've got lots of folks who are still supposed to be here and, and they'll be trickling in throughout the day, but you're the ones who got here bright and early and so we're glad to have you here with us this morning. Uh, I want to begin with just a couple of announcements before we get started with uh, the business proper. If you have any questions, we've got a couple of folks wandering around and back, be happy to help you out, but we've got uh, some refreshments out on the table there, uh, coffee and snacks, and you can bring those in if you would like to. We have a couple of restrooms which are right out back there um, that are available to you. And as you came in, I hope you're able to grab uh, off the registration table, there were some, some books there. You're, you're welcome to take one of those, uh, whichever one you choose. And, and if we have enough at the end of the day on the way out, take another one. Uh, but we wanted to uh, have, we had some extra books that have been given to us. And we wanted to share those with you. Uh, we also have a book table uh, that you may have noticed on your way in. Uh, books there, we, we generally, what we have is uh, books that we put out on our book table at church, and we always price those at our cost or lower. And what we're doing today actually is uh, whatever cost you see on there, it's actually a dollar less. So we're taking a dollar off the cost of all those books. So uh, for the less expensive ones, that, that makes it for a really, a really good deal. So uh, if you'd like to get any of those, we'll be more than happy to help you out with those. Um, it is a blessing to be here with you today uh, as we begin uh, our work. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can gather together in this place and focus our attention, our minds, and our hearts on you. May we, through the time we spend together here today come to a, a deeper realization of the fact that all that we have, all of the blessings that flow so graciously toward us are ours through our union with Christ Jesus. May we know that we earn nothing but it's because of your grace that we have that which we have. We are made new again. We are able to be made right with you. We're able to grow in our understanding and our, our experience of you. We are able to have a, a heavenly inheritance that is ours, all because of what Christ Jesus has done on our behalf. And so we give thanks and we praise his blessed name today. And we pray that you would indeed be with us in all that we do. Bless all of the speakers today, that they might speak clearly that you might, through them, be glorified. Be with us in this time today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start off with uh, singing a hymn. Uh, it's hymn number 151. If you grab your hymnal and rise, hymn number 151, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, is the great hymn of the Reformation, written by Martin Luther, of course. This being Reformation weekend, it seemed appropriate to start our time together there. Would you sing with me?
may be seated. Uh, you'll notice in your bulletin there are bios for each of the speakers today, so I'm not going to tell you about all the biographical information that's included there, uh, but as I introduce each speaker, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, different things that, that brought them to this place in terms of uh, my relationship with them. And Paul Edwards, our first speaker today, is, is uh, a person who has uh, the same two great passions that I have, uh, passion for the Lord and a passion for baseball. You know, right. <laughs> Paul loves baseball. He likes the Tigers. I like the Cardinals, so we differ a little bit. Uh, I'm still bitter over 1968, but we got back at you a little bit in 06, right? So, so these things even out over time. But, but it's wonderful to have Paul with us today. He's, he's uh, a person who not only loves baseball, but loves the Lord, loves the Lord's people. And uh, I'm sure will bless us today as he shares with us. So, Paul, would you come forward? theme of our conference is our union with Christ, and I'm glad that it only falls to me to speak to one aspect of that, which is our regeneration. And to that end, I would direct our attention to Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to read the first 10 verses. Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. I'm reading from the authorized version. You know it as the King James Version. It is the authorized version, uh, and um, I only do so not for any, um, any other spirit than it's what I grew up with and it's what I'm comfortable with, and uh, believe it to be the Word of God, and uh, we'll read it. I'll read it aloud, and you listen and follow along. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Thanks be to God for his word and a brief prayer. Holy Father, we pause now to offer to you our humble and unworthy praise for the grace that you have proffered to us in directing our steps to come to your house this morning, 
to renew our fellowship with one another and to sit under the hearing of your word. We thank you that though we are not worthy of the least of your favors, your mercy toward us is new every morning. And so how we thank you for the mercy that you grant to us in the privilege of sitting under your word. We thank you for the mercies of your self-revelation in the Bible, but how we also thank you that even as we made our way up north 75 and saw you, the true artist, painting the landscape of the changing season, how we're mindful that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. And so we thank you for the beautiful reminder of all that you are for us in Christ, even in creation. And even as we note the change of seasons, that even preaches to us that you are the Lord and you change not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changes not, abide with me. How we thank you that you do not change. And so now we come and we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that your Holy Spirit, uh, the unction of the Spirit, would rest on me. And that you would, by the Holy Spirit, open our minds our ears to hear, to perceive, to know, and to understand all that you have for us, not only in this session, but in all of the sessions uh, throughout this day as we explore this great, great, deep theological truth of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit as we study and as we preach, and may it all be done to the praise and the honor and the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Amen. Well, I'm interested in verse number four, as you can imagine, and probably verse number five, and maybe verse number six, and verse number ten. But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. When I study the Bible, I like to look for the action words to kind of get a sense of what's happening. And here in verse, uh, verses 5 and 6, uh, there are three actions that are taking place, all of them initiated by God, none of them initiated by us. Uh, verse number 6, we've been quickened together with Christ, uh, rather verse number five, verse number six, we've been raised up together and implied there is with Christ, and we have been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now we cannot fully grasp the meaning of regeneration without obviously placing it in the context of God's eternal plan of redemption, uh, which is beyond the scope of my time this morning, but hopefully through, uh, throughout the day 
uh, we'll cover enough of it that when uh, the day is over, uh, later this afternoon, we'll all come away great theologians, uh, having grasped this deep, deep theological truth of our union with Christ. But the first thing that we must grasp is the fact that God's eternal plan of redemption, His plan to save His people from their sins, is in its totality a Trinitarian plan and accomplishment. The redemption of fallen sinners was devised by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in eternal counsel before time and before the foundation of the world. Well, that's something that you can spend much of your time trying to get your head around, is why would God uh, plan uh, for the redemption of fallen sinners when there were yet to be fallen sinners? And yet, Jeremiah, you hear the prophet Jeremiah uh, quoting Jehovah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now that's an interesting thing, and I'm going to quickly right at the beginning do something that I promised myself I wouldn't do, and that is get away from my notes. I have loved you with an everlasting love. We think of everlasting in our finite way of um, something that has a beginning but doesn't have an end, and yet that is not what everlasting is. Something that is everlasting in a theological perspective doesn't have a beginning and doesn't have an end. And so there is a sense in which God's love for you in Christ never had a beginning and never had an end. The great theologian John Murray, if you haven't read his book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, it's one that you need to read. Uh, John Murray, the great uh, theologian, I think Princeton, I'm not quite sure uh, where, where he was. I think he was Presbyterian, so you ought to at least appreciate that, uh, that this Reformed Baptist is giving a nod to the Presbyterians. Uh, John Murray said that the way you can be assured that God's love for you will never end is that it never began. Now, get your head around that. When I first read Murray say that, I said, no, wait a minute, I, I don't quite get that. And yet, if it is an everlasting love, we have every assurance that it will not end because it never began. And so one of the very first things that we have to recognize about not only this aspect of, of God's eternal plan of redemption, this regeneration, but every aspect of God's eternal plan of redemption is Trinitarian in its very nature. Every person of the Holy Trinity working together with no division between them in this great work of redemption, nevertheless have individual responsibilities, actions, activities in the accomplishment of the redemption of God's elect people. It is the Father who devises redemption's plan, it is the Son who accomplishes redemption's plan, and it is the Holy Spirit who applies and makes effective redemption's plan. And because of this great Trinitarian cooperation, there is the guarantee that it cannot fail. It cannot fail. God will accomplish His purposes, and His purpose is to save His people from their sins. And so when we talk about regeneration, we're in the area of the Trinity 
God the Holy Spirit. The problem with this is, is we, don't want, we don't want to make a division in the Trinity, do we? we, we uh, I made the mistake, um, I think it was last Sunday night, of, of uh, saying something about one-third of the Trinity. And I, and I immediately caught myself because my elders were looking at me like, I don't think you can divide the Trinity in that way. Uh, and uh, so while it is uh, the, the, the specific task of this person God the Holy Spirit to accomplish, to make effective uh, the work of the Trinity, we're not dividing the Trinity. God, God the Father and God the Son are just as much as involved, but this is the particular task that falls to uh, the Holy Spirit. And even before we get to regeneration, we have to talk about things like the general call and the effectual call, because uh, these things precede regeneration. And so when you start talking about preceding and following, now you're in the order salutis, right? You're in the order of salvation. When do these things happen? Uh, And if I were to pursue all of the different uh, rabbits that I'm chasing on these notes, none of the other speakers would have an opportunity, uh, and uh, we we would be dismissing at four o'clock and still not exhausting at all. The Holy Spirit regenerates in the general call, in the preaching of the Word of God, but it is effectual, it is effective only to the elect to produce regeneration. Why is it that you and I can sit in a room like this and some of us are stirred by these things? Some of us can't get enough of these things. Why is it that some of us respond to the preaching of the gospel and others go out scratching their heads saying, I don't get it. I didn't didn't understand a word that that guy was saying. It is because in the general call, there is an effectual call, and only through the general call can there be an effectual call. That is why we preach. That is why we why we tell the old, old story. It's why we share the Word of God with our neighbors. It's in the general call. We're not, we're not out looking for the elect. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to look for the elect. It is our job to use the means that the Holy Spirit has identified as the means by which the elect will be regenerated. And they will be regenerated. This, this word cannot fail. I think we just sang uh, something along those lines uh, from, from Martin Luther. And so when we, when we talk about the general call and the effectual call, we end up talking again about the order salutis, the order of salvation. And in my thinking, and uh, there are others that are in the room that may be smarter than me, the danger of... Uh, preaching at a conference like this is there are other speakers here that have probably done deeper study than you have, and it's, uh, it's intimidating, to say the least. But in my thinking, as I've studied this, regeneration precedes the effectual call. That is to say, and this is where there may be some disagreement, that is to say that it is not the call in and of itself that produces the regeneration. 
It is the word of God in the call that regenerates, which then makes the general call effective. I know what some of you are thinking. It's early on a Saturday morning, and I wish I'd been like the rest of the latecomers because it's too early for me to try to get my head around this, uh, this, uh, this trail that you're painting here. But regeneration precedes the effectual call. Why do I say that? Well, and you hath he quickened who were dead. How can the call even be heard if there is no living ear to hear it? And so in my way of thinking, as I've studied this out, my view would be that regeneration precedes the effectual call. The general call is responded to only by the regenerate. The general call becomes effectual in the case of the elect because they are regenerate. And it is the word of God that creates the life in them that gives them the life so that they are able to hear the effectual call. And so hopefully we'll unpack that as we go along. The word regeneration, I don't care what translation of the Bible you use, the word regeneration in a salvific sense, in, 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 in the, the division of theology known as soteriology, this word regeneration occurs only one time in the entire Bible. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5, you might want to look at it since it is the only time in the entire Bible where the word regeneration is used, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his, what's the next word? Mercy. When I pause, that's, your, that's the fill in the blank time. That's when you get to talk. I know I'm in the Presbyterian church. I, I don't know how it is, but... You know, I, I got enough Baptist in me that I need to hear back from you. <clears throat> Brother Smith likes that. Uh, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. Well, so we, we've changed places in our Bible, but we haven't changed themes, have we? We haven't changed subjects. Uh, Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love. Now, Paul's saying the same thing to Titus, not by works of righteousness, Titus 3, 5, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. And all of my Catholic friends say, there it is, baptismal regeneration. Well, I wasn't assigned the task of speaking on baptismal regeneration, so we'll leave that for another time, but I, I bet you can imagine uh, you can ascertain on your own where, where I stand on the whole notion of baptismal regeneration. What is happening here is the washing of regeneration. Um, John, in Revelation, helps us with that. He washed us from our sins in his own blood. And so all Paul is doing here is uh, taking that metaphor of washing the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Ghost. And so the only time in your entire Bible where this word regeneration occurs is right here in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. But there are other words that are used throughout the New Testament that mean the same event, the same action. Um, the word begat or begotten. 
Um, when, we, uh, when we read John 3.16, we always misapply it in terms of the time. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Only begotten doesn't mean the manger. Only begotten is eternally generated from all of eternity. Now, here's another theological conundrum. There was never a time the Son wasn't, and yet He is eternally generated by the Father. You figure that out. I'm not, that's not my problem. I wasn't assigned that task today. Only begotten, but it's interesting that the theologians rightly take that phrase, only begotten, and, they, and uh, as they examine the Greek uh, and, uh, and the context, they, they come to the conclusion that it means eternally generated. Well, the root of regeneration is generated, to be made alive, to, uh, to be begotten. So you've got the word regeneration in Titus 3.5, but you've also got the words beget, beget again, to bear, or to give birth. Uh, you'll see that in John 1.13, which were born, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see it, uh, obviously, in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, where Jesus is engaging uh, with Rabbi Nicodemus. Uh, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John continues that theme in his first epistle, in John 1.1, 1, 1, in John 2.29, in John, uh, 1 John, I should say, 1 John 3.9, 1 John 4.7, 1 John 5.1, using this word begat or begotten or born. My favorite one, however, is James chapter 1 and verse number 18, where James uses the word begat in a very useful way for our purposes uh, this morning in James chapter 1 and verse 18, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. And so regeneration is also this begetting, this, this begetting, begat, birth, born. But then right here in our text in Ephesians 2, there's another word, a third word, created or creating. You see it there, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Uh, you see it in Ephesians 2.10. You see it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation. You see it in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 15. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but a new creature. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 24, put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. But then the word I like best is this word quicken. Uh, you think loans when I say quicken. Well, quicken, uh, when uh, my wife became pregnant with our first child back in 1986. About three months in, four months in, the doctor said, well, what you're feeling is the quickening. The quickening. 
Well, that's an old term. I don't know that, uh, that obstetricians uh, use that term anymore. But quickening is the first signs of life. There's movement. Uh, there is activity. This quickening. And, uh, and Paul uses it here in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, you'll notice if you have an authorized version as I do, when you look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, the translators were honest with us and said, now, you know, hath he quickened is not part of the first verse. And so they put it in italics for us. But it is part of the context uh, because uh, you, you see it there in verse 5 of Ephesians 2. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us. And here's the theme of the conference. Together with Christ. Quickened us, made us alive together with Christ. And so you take all of these words together, regeneration and beget and beget again, begotten to bear, to give birth, creating or created, to quicken or to make alive. And you can come up with a biblical definition of regeneration. Now the history of the use of this word uh, is, uh, in Martin Lloyd-Jones' uh, words, one of great confusion. I wish I could do Welsh accents. I would so sound a whole lot smarter if I could do the accent and roll my R's the way Lloyd-Jones did. He says there's great confusion about the history of this word, and he's right. I was reading Joel Beakey's excellent, uh, very thick, systematic theology um, doctrine for life, which is based on the doctrinal statement systematic theology of the Puritans. Uh, and, uh, and he says that the Puritans would use this word very loosely. Um, they would use it uh, for the full gamut of God's redemption plan. They, they would use it for justification. They would use it for adoption. They would use it for sanctification. They would use it for glorification. And then, of course, for regeneration. They would use the word interchangeably. Well, Lloyd-Jones says we, that's a mistake. Uh, that, he doesn't go as far to say it's an error, but he does say it's a mistake. Regeneration is regeneration. Regeneration is not justification. Regeneration is not sanctification. Regeneration is not glorification. There is a sense in which regeneration is the very beginning of this entire process. Packer, J.I. Packer, will say that regeneration uh, is that action of a sovereign God which produces the life, and the growth of the life is the sanctification. The regeneration produces the life. It is the sanctification that grows the life, culminating in glorification, ultimate glorification. And so we have to be very careful that we let regeneration be what it is in its own right, that we, that we don't mix these terms together. Uh, and, and you say, well, you've been talking now for almost 25 minutes and you haven't yet told us really what regeneration is. Would you give us a, a definition? I'm getting to it. Hang on a second. What, let me tell you, first of all, what, what regeneration isn't. Regeneration isn't conversion. Now, here again, we're back to the order of salvation, aren't we? Which comes first, conversion or regeneration? Uh, which comes first, my calling on Christ for salvation or his saving me? 
Well, if you're a good Calvinist, you know the answer. Obviously, the initiative is all with God. And so regeneration isn't conversion. Conversion is something that we do. Regeneration is something that is done to us. Conversion is the outward evidence of regeneration. And yet a man could be converted and not be regenerated. A man could turn in a moral way, and this will be one of my other negatives in a moment, but a man could turn in a moral way from doing bad things. He could resist temptation and do so fairly effectively, not as effective as it would be if it were the Holy Spirit doing that work in him, but all of the outward appearances could be that he's cleaned the outside of the cup and yet on the inside he's full of dead men's bones, right? The, the, the sepulcher is whited on the outside, it's clean, it has all of the, all of the uh, cooperation with moral law. A man could turn from all of these things and not turn to Christ. No, it's God that must do the turning of the man, and he does that in regeneration. And so regeneration isn't conversion. Conversion means a turning away from one thing to another in the way you behave, in the practice of your life, but that is not the meaning of regeneration. Conversion uh, is the evidence of regeneration and not the cause of regeneration. God is always the cause. In the beginning, God created. Uh, if, we, if we fully comprehend uh, that there would be nothing of material essence outside of the creative activity of God, why is it that we think that there would be anything of spiritual essence, spiritual life, outside of the creative activity of God? God is the initiator. So regeneration isn't conversion. Regeneration isn't repentance. And this is closely related, I understand, to the very first one. But uh, uh, it isn't repentance. Uh, repentance, that is a genuine sorrow for sin and a turning away from your sin is the, uh, it results from and is enabled by regeneration. The guilt that I feel for my sin causing me to repent. As I recognize that I'm in um, the pig sty when I could be uh, clothed with uh, my father's robes with his signet ring uh, on my hand and the... And, uh, you know, all of the servants uh, faring more sumptuously than, than I, I repent in great sorrow. But it is God who brings me to this state of mind. When, speaking of the prodigal son, when he came to himself. Well, how did he come to himself? Well, that's the moving of the Holy Spirit of God. And so this this, uh, this regeneration is always outside of us. Regeneration isn't conversion. Regeneration isn't repentance. Regeneration isn't moral reform. It isn't simply saying, uh, I'm going to try harder and I'm going to do better. 
I was uh, watching Larry King live, which uh, dates me, doesn't it? Because I don't know when the last time Larry King was live. I don't even, well, never mind. But anyway, I was watching Larry King live, and he had it as guest, as his guest that evening, um, Joel Osteen. And they uh, were talking about uh, Joel Osteen's position on homosexuality. And Larry King uh, was really trying to pigeonhole Mr. Osteen and trying to get him to, to, to make some sort of statement, yay or nay, what do you feel about homosexuality? Uh, and uh, Joel Osteen said, well, Larry, I am not a theologian. Well, you didn't have to tell us that. Uh, I'm not a theologian. What I tell people who come into my church uh, who are dealing with this particular uh, attraction is to try harder. Just try harder not to be attracted to the same sex. He wouldn't call it sin. Uh, he, he, he certainly didn't go to Romans 1. But he said, "Try." I tell my people to try harder. You know what the tragedy is with most preaching of the popular variety is it's number one, it's not preaching. Uh, and number two, uh, it is simply encouraging moral reform. Try harder. Do better. Obey this law. Follow these rules. And regeneration isn't moral reform. It is not, uh, it is not uh, an adherence to religious practices. The fact that you uh, read your Bible every morning and faithfully pray and go through all of these motions. Now those may be evidences of regeneration, but those things in and of themselves are not regeneration. And then finally, and here's the controversial one, regeneration is not resurrection. Here's, I think, where we make a big mistake, and I've made it my entire ministry. Until Pete, uh, Pete assigned this uh, task of regeneration to me, and I really began studying it, I had always used the illustration of Lazarus in the tomb, dead four days. And Jesus comes to the tomb. His sisters say, don't have them move that stone. He's been dead. He stinks. Jesus speaks three words, Lazarus, come forth. And I, in my entire ministry, have used that as an illustration of regeneration. Well, but in a strict sense, regeneration is not resurrection. Regeneration, and we're getting to our definition here, regeneration is not the raising of former life to new life. It is the sovereign act and initiative of God in creating life where there never was any life. That's regeneration. You say, well, Paul, it says right here in Ephesians 2, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Well, let me ask you a question. At what point before you were dead in your sins were you alive and needed to be made alive again? At what point were you alive, became dead, and needed to be made alive again? I'm talking spiritually here. There isn't a person in the room that would dare say, oh, yes, 
I was alive and, you know, spiritually alive. I had all of the life of God in me. I loved God perfectly. I loved my neighbor as myself. And then one day, I blew it and I died. And then I needed regeneration. Well, at what point after you died, if you were alive spiritually and you died, at what point in your dead state did you, on your own initiative, suddenly realize you'd like to be like you were before? Never. And so there is a sense in which we cannot say that, that regeneration is resurrection. Now, somebody's going to come along later, and they're going to preach Romans 6, which is the key text on union with Christ, correct? Correct. Uh, even as we were planted in a death like his, so we were raised uh, in a resurrection like his. Uh, and you will, you will say to me, see, there is spiritual resurrection there. Well, I have some answers to that, which we don't have the time to get into. But you'll notice a key difference between Romans 6 and Ephesians 2. In Romans 6, the phrase is dead to sin... In uh, Ephesians 2, the phrase is dead in sins. To and in do not mean the same thing. And I say to my congregation all the time, do you know how I know that? They're spelled differently. (laughs) To and in are good prepositional phrases. But if I'm going to something, I'm not going in it until I get there. So, in my thinking, the way to make this distinction on on, uh, regeneration not being resurrection, and then you taking me to Romans 6 and saying, see right there, it it sure looks like we're raised in a spiritual sense uh, with Christ and his resurrection. Yes, that is true. And yet, we're talking about two different things. In Romans 6, we're talking about being dead to sins, as opposed to being dead to in sins. Being dead to sins is a result of my spiritual resurrection with Christ. Being dead in sins is something that has always been true of anyone that's unregenerate. There was never not a time when they were not dead in sins. And so, in Ephesians 2, at any rate, this idea of, re- re- of regeneration is, is, is not the idea of taking something formerly alive that is now dead and making it alive again. No, 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 no. If you're going to fully understand regeneration, beloved, you need to see it as a divine creative act where they're in the same way in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created. W- from what? What did he use? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us he didn't use anything we could see. And yet, that is exactly the principle that is is at work in regeneration. Regeneration is not this idea that God has raised you spiritually from the dead. There is a sense of that. I understand that. But regeneration in its purest sense must be the vital creation of new life where there was no life before. This is not merely God reshaping my dead spirit. 
No, this is God. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. All things have become Well, what is new? I I lease a car, and every two years I take the thing back, and I get a new one. When I take the old one back, they don't take it back in the shop and give it the once-over and hand it back to me and say, here's your new car. I'd look at them and say, well, it's still got the same old miles on it, still got the tread wear, still needs the oil change. Because, you know, in my thinking, if a car needs an oil change, it's time for a new car, right? No. If I go to get a new car, they're not going to take my old one and refashion it and hand it back to me and say, here's your new car. The same way with regeneration, beloved. God is not taking your dead spirit or your dead soul, whatever you want to say, and reshaping it and handing it back to you. No, it's new. It has never existed before. That's what we're talking about when we talk about regeneration. That's the introduction. Two points that will go much quicker. The necessity of regeneration. Why do I need to be regenerated? And you hath he quickened who were dead. It's obvious. I need to be regenerated because of the fall of man and the consequences of that fall. One verse describes it, Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Dead. Adam is our federal head. And I was conceived... uh, I was shaped in iniquity. The old authorized says shapen. I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, the, the conception there is not the act of conception. That's not what David's talking about. He's talking about the fact that I have, inherit, I have inherited from my federal head, Adam, all of his sin and the consequences of his sin, and yet I am not only responsible for Adam's sin, I'm responsible for my own. I mean, you hear it there in Romans 5.12, don't you? By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. One man sinned, all have sinned. And so God God is not judging me because of Adam's sin. He's judging me not only for Adam's sin, but for mine as well. I am I am a sinner. And so I need regeneration. But I don't know that I need regeneration. Uh, uh, An unregenerate sinner is perfectly content in their life. Coming home from uh, Disney World, of all places, yesterday, which is why my eyes are all bloodshot. I was on the Magical Express from the resort back to uh, the airport, and they had this video playing, encouraging us all to come back. See you real soon, you know. uh, encouraging us all to come back and and the lady on the on the video uh said uh something words to the effect because only at disney can you have a worldly experience and the theologian in me i mean i wanted to preach to the bus at that point 
Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. You know, worldly. All I know in my unregenerate state is worldliness. Not only am I unwilling to do good in my unregenerate state, I am unable to do good in my unregenerate state. Why? Because I'm dead. Well, that's the necessity of regeneration. We're dead. We need the sovereign act of God, which is the nature of regeneration. And that happens here in Ephesians 2.4, doesn't it? But God. Don't you love those two words? But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. God. You have the necessity of regeneration, but the very first thing in the nature of regeneration is the agent of regeneration, a sovereign God. Without your help, without your calling, without your doing anything at all, God acts. Regeneration, then, is a creative act of God in which man is entirely passive and contributes nothing whatsoever. You don't do anything. When I, when I came to uh, what was then Calvary Baptist Church in, in uh, Pontiac, Waterford, back in 2001, I preached, um, uh, I preached about a month in uh, on the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And I, I said... Billy Graham wasn't preaching. The buses weren't waiting. They didn't sing 10 verses of just as I am, waiting for Saul of Tarsus to get it. No. God sovereignly arrested. Paul uses the word apprehended in Philippians 3. God sovereignly apprehends him. Paul's doing nothing. He contributes nothing to his salvation. I got out into the lobby and was smiling. You know, I'm the new pastor and I'm greeting everyone and a woman comes up to me and she says, I have five questions for you and you can only answer yes or no. I said, yeah, total depravity, um, unconditional election. I knew right where she was going. She said, do you believe all those things? Well, since I can only answer yes or no, yes. And she turned to everybody in the lobby and said, this man is a Calvinist. Do you know that you've called a Calvinist to be your pastor? Wow. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. Thankfully, we had an old deacon there that had been there forever, and he's still with me. He grabbed that woman by the arm and took her to her husband. And said, you need to exercise a little scriptural authority over your wife. And he escorted them out of the building. Now, I didn't say it. Don't look at me like that. I amend him as he said it. But they moved along. No. We believe these things. Only by the action of a sovereign God. The creative act of God in which man is entirely passive and contributes nothing whatsoever. Romans 9.16, it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. John 1.14, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 5.21, the Son quickens whom he will. Well, there's a verse for you. The Son quickens whom he will. Only the Son has free will in salvation. 
You don't have a free will in salvation. Regeneration is motivated by nothing more than God's mercy. God is not regenerating you for anything in you. It's, it's motivated only by his mercy. Well, what is the instrument of regeneration? Beloved, the instrument, the only instrument used by the Holy Spirit in regeneration is the word of God. There is a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord in our day, isn't there? And yet, it's all around us. I'm a radio guy. I've been in radio for 20 years. You have more access to the Word of God than any other generation, and yet there is a famine of the hearing of the Word of God. Do you know what a testimony, uh, if you're looking for a testimony of the, the spiritual deadness of the church, it's in the empty space all around you. You mean to tell me that on a Saturday morning, People aren't hungry for the Word of God. Alistair Begg, my friend Alistair Begg, said several months ago, and he got, he got a lot of heat for saying it. He said uh, that, that the, 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 the lack of spiritual vibrancy in the church is uh, on display by the emptiness of our car parks, he means parking lot, on Sunday night. We don't go to church on Sunday night. We can't even give the day to the Lord. Now I'm chasing rabbits that I shouldn't, shouldn't be chasing. We need the hearing of the word of the Lord. We need to be preaching the word of God. We need to be hearing the word of God. The means by which a sovereign God creates new life where previously there was no life is the word of God. 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God of God. It is not the exposition necessarily of the Word of God that converts. It's the Word of God that converts. Ask me to share my testimony sometime of my regeneration experience. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Paul said in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And James 1.18, of his own will begat he us by the word of truth. You say, what do I have to do to be saved? Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And in saying it, he gave the word of God. And it is not the belief of the man that regenerated him. It was God's regenerating act in the word, the creative act of speaking, how did everything come into existence? Read Genesis 1, and God said, how do you come into new spiritual life? Not be raised from the dead. How does God create you brand new? He speaks. He speaks his word. And so regeneration is the creation of new life where previously there was no life, and it is the word of God that calls this life into existence. In the same way that Adam had no life, watch me, in the same way that Adam had a form, but no life, until God what? Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. What is that breathing? It's life. The breath of God falls on the dry bones in Ezekiel. And dry bones 
live. Why? It's in the breath of God. And right here in our text in Ephesians 1.13, in whom you also trusted after that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel to your, of your salvation. And Paul to the Thessalonians in, in, in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 13, when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually works in those who believe. And so, beloved, regeneration is a direct result of the hearing of the word of God, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, we could go into the effect, what happens when we are regenerated and we're completely out of time, but let me give you Packer's definition. J.I. Packer says, regeneration in Christ changes the disposition from lawless, godless self-seeking, which dominates man in Adam, into one of trust and love, of repentance for past rebelliousness and unbelief, and loving compliance with God's law henceforth. Regeneration doesn't mean a change has taken place in your human nature. You're still human. Regeneration doesn't mean that there's a complete change in your whole nature. Regeneration controls, it changes the controlling disposition of your faculties, your mind, your will, your emotions, regeneration. You're still the same man. And I'll close with this illustration. Saul of Tarsus was Paul the Apostle. No fundamental difference between the two. Yet, the man who once persecuted the church now used that same faculty, that same zeal, to preach the gospel, which he once denied. That's regeneration. That's the change that takes place. You don't become new in the sense of a totally different person. And by the way, you don't become new in the sense that we're all now the same. There isn't this psychological thing where we're all the same. No, 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 no. No, God uses your personality. He uses who you are. Be who you are. Don't be someone else. Be who you are. And let the, let the Holy Spirit control you. And the only thing left to be asked is, is this true of you? You say, well, I came out early on a Saturday, didn't I? It must be true of me. Have you experienced this radical change? I'm not asking you if you've been converted. I'm not asking you about your prayer life. I'm not asking you about your religious duties. Has the Word of God had this effect upon you has the Word of God so affected you that you can't do without the Word of God? That you love the Word of God, you love the people of God, you love the church of God, you love God, you long for the presence of God. Beloved, those are the things that you need to be looking for as you seek to make your calling and election sure. Have I had this fundamental change in my disposition so now that it's turned away from evil and sin and toward righteousness and the loveliness of the Lord Jesus Christ, only regeneration by the Holy Spirit can do that. Now, Father, we pray that you will take these frail human attempts at describing this deep, deep doctrine and do with it only what your Holy Spirit can do. Drive the chaff away and drive deep into our hearts the wheat, the food of the Word of God, because we've come to you to hear from you, and we pray that you will speak.
for Jesus' sake. Amen.